Hello, and welcome to Bridge Design and Engineering's podcast. In this podcast series, we will be talking to some of the biggest names in the bridge industry, learning about key projects they've undertaken in their careers, as well as their opinions on important issues like sustainability, maintenance, and much more. My name is Khalifa Bakamas, Features Editor at Bridge Design and Engineering Magazine, and for this episode, I spoke with Tina Vayram, President-Elect of IAPSI and Vice President for Covey's International Bridge Department. I had the pleasure of joining Tina at the company's headquarters, just north of Copenhagen in Denmark, and in the first part of the interview, we spoke about a variety of topics, including what inspired Tina to get into engineering, the advice she would give young, aspiring engineers, the global challenges she believes the industry can help overcome, and the major bridge projects she has been involved with to date, including stonecutters in Hong Kong and the 1915 Chinakale Bridge in Turkey. Going back to um, your youth and maybe your childhood, where would you say your interest in engineering stemmed from? Was there any particular bridge that inspired you as a child or were you inspired by any specific structures? That's a very good question, and um, I think there were lots of factors. Yeah. Um, I, I always had an interest in math and natural okay. science. So I, I, I was never in doubt that I wanted to do something within natural science. Mm-hmm. And then I felt more attracted by applied science than theoretical. Okay. So little by little, I think sort of the idea of studying engineering emerged from that. Mm-hmm. And then, as you know, there are lots of different directions you can take within engineering. Um, my father has a background in, in chemical engineering and, okay. and, and so that was quite familiar to me. But then I always felt something tangible, something you could look at mm-hmm. uh, that, that really inspired me. And perhaps also the, um, the new Little Belt Bridge, the, the first suspension bridge in Denmark was, yeah. um, was opened um, in the early 1970s, I'm bought in, in the late 60s. Yeah. So I can, it was kind of under construction and, and just opened sort of in, in my early childhood. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving across it the first time I thought, wow, this must be the biggest bridge in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> what, what advice would you give to uh, aspiring young engineers when they're thinking about taking up the, the subject at university? I think engineering opens up so many doors. I think it, it's probably one of the most versatile educations you can get because having that fundamental understanding of the laws of nature, yeah. I mean, they're universal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it first of all, it means you can work more or less anywhere. Of course, yeah. there are codes and standards, but if you can pick up one system, you'll understand that a different system quite easily. Yeah. Um, it's, it's having that... Uh, uh, yeah, natural science background that enables you to go into a lot of different areas because it's about the method mm-hmm. you're you're using and and the analysis. It's about your way of thinking. So I think it it's quite easy later on to build on it and then turn it into a somewhat different direction. Okay. What we also see in Denmark is that uh, amongst uh, managers uh, there are quite a lot of engineers. Okay. I, I believe now we need to fact check, but I believe there are more engineers than lawyers actually in, in, in leading positions. So I think if, if that's an aspiration for a young person, then it is really a good path. And I think also engineering um, offers a solution to many of, of the challenges that, mm-hmm. that societies are facing in terms of climate change, the need for more sustainable solutions, yeah. um, urbanization. I mean, all, all these global challenges, I think engineering holds a lot of the solutions. Okay. Um, so therefore, I think it, it is a key role in our society. And that's also something I would like to, to emphasize when I take over as president in yeah. the APSA, to make sure that engineering is actually recognized for the role we play mm-hmm. in, in society. Yeah. Uh, so do you think sometimes mm-hmm. that uh, engineers and their projects are maybe not brought up? To the forefront of public attention enough or publicized do you think they get enough uh, yeah do you think they're not brought to the forefront forefront of um, you know media I, coverage of these projects i think it's probably part of it is is in our nature and, and our yeah. dna because with a lot of engineers we tend to be we tend to be introvert and perhaps a bit modest okay. and therefore we 
don't even like to take sort of the front stage. Yeah. And therefore, also, I think as a profession, we're probably suffering a little bit, um, not just the, the recognition as a profession, but also in terms of recruiting young talent okay. and um, to attract uh, students to the university. I, I, I think we have a lot of potential where we could do better. Okay. And in explaining why it's such an important profession and why we can make such a huge difference. Uh-huh. What do you think are the main factors behind this? Um, you, you say it's struggling to recruit young talent. What do you think are the main factors behind that? So I think there's still a lot of room for improvement, but that's also about having the role model. It takes time. It's, it's, there's no quick fix for it. Uh, so I think you're right, it's um, it's about the role models, it's about how we, we talk about the profession, uh, also in the media. Mm-hmm. I mean, who, who would ever have seen uh, a Netflix series where the engineer was the hero? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> so I, th- I think we just need role models and, and inspiration for... Do you think that the interest is growing among um, people that don't traditionally take up the subjects, like females and people from different uh, sort of uh, economic backgrounds? Sorry, could you just repeat? I mean, sorry. Do you think there is slow? It is slowly changing towards being a more diverse industry. Do you see change in recent years? Definitely, yes, definitely. In not just in terms of gender, but also I mean, diversity in in all possible aspects of it, and it just takes time. But I think the best we can do as, as a company and as an association, if we're speaking about uh, YAPS, is having the role models. Yeah. And, and not just talking about it, but actually showing by example, yes, it's possible. Um, and that's also why I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased um, and, and honored to be the first woman president elected for, for YAPS. Yeah. Um, the association is almost 100 years, so yeah. um, th- now is a good time. Yes. Um, and I, I hope it can provide some some inspiration for others to see that of course it's possible and I don't think it's because it's male dominated in a way that 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 men are deliberately trying to to hold back sure. females of course it's not like that but it's maybe opening up the eyes for talent can have a different shape and form from yeah from yourself yeah, that's yeah. True. <clears throat> um, so going back to your career you were talking about your international experiences I read that you your your career has taken you to places like Hong Kong, Canada and the USA, as well as Denmark, obviously. What <coughs> projects were you working on in those places? I mean, Hong Kong, that, that's sort of the project that's closest to my heart, uh, because that's the Stonecutters Bridge, okay. um, the big Cable State Bridge. Huh. And um, I worked on it for 10 years. Yeah. So I was so fortunate to be part of it right from the beginning, the design competition uh, where Kowi and Arup jointly worked together to assess the technical feasibility of, of the entries in the competition. Mm-hmm. So that was super exciting to be part of that and, and actually having uh, an influence on, on how the, the finalists were assessed. Okay. And then later, um, the same team won the, um, the tender for, for the detailed design. So again, Kowi okay. and Arup worked together on detailed design. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was so fortunate to be uh, stationed three years in Hong Kong during construction. So that was probably the most rewarding part of my career to, to, to get that feedback from real construction. So understanding this was your design, these are the challenges mm. that the contractor met during construction and what mitigations were necessary or, yeah. or, or what could have been been better. And, and, and that feedback was has been really useful in, in my in my ongoing career. Yeah. So so that's a, a major milestone for me, Stonecutters Bridge. Okay. Um, in Canada, uh, I was so fortunate to be um, seconded to Buckland and Taylor, as, as they were called back then. Now it's Kobe North America. Okay. When they joined the Kobe Group in uh, 1998. Okay. Uh, so I was part of the first team going there. At, at that point in time, they were working on the deck replacement for Lionsgate Bridge, so it was super important. Uh, suspension bridge uh, linking downtown Vancouver to North Vancouver mm-hmm. and they were replacing the entire deck overnight so they were, they were cutting out sections putting in new sections and basically it had to be open to traffic the next day and I, I got involved okay. in the aerodynamic studies so uh, very challenging and interesting work and I would say also for my my professional network I, I mean I'm still very much using the same 
relationships that mm-hmm. were formed back then more than 20 years ago. We, we call each other and we help each other and we, we mm-hmm. second staff to each other when we need to. How long did that secondment last, sorry? Uh, that was uh, three months, okay. not very long, but yeah. it really made an impact. Mm. Um, was that one of the, f- so you, you said you were involved in the aerodynamic studies on that bridge, had you had experience of that area on a, on a major project before? Yes, I had, because I, I worked uh, at that time closely together with Dr. Alan Larsen. He's uh, a senior specialist in aerodynamics here in, in Kobe, and, and I would say world famous, he, he's written I don't know how many major publications mm-hmm. about aerodynamics. So I was so fortunate to be uh, to be part of his team, and and um, I learned a lot about um, fluid dynamics from okay. him. That was the early days of computational fluid okay. dynamics, okay. and we have an in-house program here that was developed um, okay. by uh, by Dr. Alan Larsen and and a PhD at uh-huh. that time. So I I got to work with that program and saw the potential of it, and and we made extensive use on it for, for the Lionsgate deck mm-hmm. uh, replacement. And then of course the wind tunnel testing as well. So I would say working closely together with Dr. Alan Larson was, uh, was also a, a game changer for me. Yeah. What's the name of your CFD in-house program? It's called DVM flow. Okay. And it means discrete vortex method. And um, what did you notice as back then as being the major benefits of working with CFD? I think it's testing different deck layouts before you actually go into the wind tunnel. So you can quite quickly check if small changes to the deck's uh, cross-section has a a detrimental impact on the aerodynamic performance or whether it actually helps. So together with the designers, you collaborate on finding um, a couple of alternatives you think look promising. And then uh, your test work in, in the wind tunnel is a lot quicker and, and of course cheaper and, and you get to the right solution a lot faster. I see. Yeah. So it sort of complements the wind tunnel. Yes, yes. Uh, and has it progressed significantly since those early days? Or has it, how, how has it moved on the CFD and how sophisticated has it become today? Definitely. I mean, just with the development in, in computer power, I okay. mean, that has made a huge yeah, difference. So we can make our models a lot more sophisticated also, uh, back then it was a 2D version. Now, now it's actually possible to do 3D flow analysis uh, in, in different uh, CFD tools. So I think just that development has given the engineers, the bridge engineers, a lot of, of, of different tools mm-hmm. in the early phases of design. So, okay. so we can narrow in on, on what is a good design and avoid surprises like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so do you have a whole department dedicated to CFD or is it something that's done on a project by project basis? How is it structured in, in the company? It's a group of specialists okay. uh, who work with that full time every day. And we also have an industrial PhD um, studying its specific effects on twin box decks. Okay. So in COVID we we emphasize to do um, research as part of our work because it, it's, it's a good way to stay sort of at the cutting edge. Yeah. So Kobe is owned by a foundation mm-hmm. uh, that supports research and a lot of it is actually going into industrial PhDs where it's a collaboration between the university, the company and then the Danish Innovation Fund. Okay. So she's studying some uh, effects that we um, we realized that they were there during a uh, design of uh, Chanakal, oh, okay. the new world record suspension yeah, bridge yeah. in Turkey. And we, we saw there was an effect and we didn't quite understand some of the physics behind it um, and decided to set up this industrial PhD to, to gain more knowledge about it because it, it was actually a beneficial effect that we had not expected. So we wanted to understand is, is this for real or is it just maybe a numerical issue? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, what was the effect that you noticed? It has something to do with the windscreens. Okay. That the windscreens appear to stabilize the deck, and normally the wind putting on windscreens on a, on a cross section would have a detrimental effect okay. on, on the aerodynamic behavior, and here it seemed to be the opposite. Right. Um, so we got quite curious. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And um, the US, what 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 project or projects were you involved with with there? In the US, um, I was stationed half a year. Uh, in our office in San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, now it has moved to Oakland. So we were in uh, Ben C. Gerwig, as it was called back then, when it was bought by Kobe. Um, and uh, today, it, again, it's part of Kobe North America. And they are sp- 
specialists in uh, marine works, mm-hmm. in heavy civil works, yeah. um, marine operations. And one of the projects I worked on was the Olmsted Log and Dam. Uh, so in, in the US, they have a lot of these inland waterways, yes, uh, okay. on the big rivers, and their locks and dams. And, mm. and they needed new gates and, and an upgrade of the system. And has, has your work taken you to any other countries? I would say on a, we've worked all over the globe yeah. in, in the British department, yeah. so I, I frequently travel to other countries. Uh, China is, is actually yeah. at the moment a big market for us, yeah. and we are assisting on the two coming world records. So, so the Chenakla Bridge in Turkey is uh-huh. the current world record, yeah. but they are planning two even bigger bridges in, in China. We're so fortunate to have um, been assigned as international consultant on these two coming world records. So, so right now the team sitting in, in the office next to us, they're working on number one, two and three in the world. Wow, okay. <laughs> so. Are they Shenzong? Uh, one of them is the Changgao. Changgao, yeah. Okay. Which will be 2,300 meters main span. And then the Shijiang, which will yes, be okay. 2,180. And it's a double decker, so it carries 16 lanes of traffic. Okay. It's, it's a monster bridge. Yeah, and then you're quite right. We're also working on the Xinjiang link, which is under construction now. There's no a cable state bridge. There's one of each. There's a suspension okay. bridge and a cable state, yeah, exactly. and two artificial islands and an immersed tube tunnel. Uh, so so it, it has everything. Big and very large in its scale. It is. With your involvement in these three projects in China, what are your thoughts on the uh, the rapid sort of rise and contribution of China to the the world of engineering, bridge engineering specifically? There's no doubt that uh, they are pushing um, the development of technology in China and I'm, I'm very impressed yeah. by the level uh, of engineering in China. They have these, um, n- they have a need for infrastructure. So they have been at the forefront of development of high-speed rail. Yeah. Um, they, they also have the world records for they had the world record for for cable state bridge yeah. for a long time mm-hmm. until it was taken over by by Russia and in terms of the suspension bridges mm-hmm. uh, I mean with with these two world records in the in the planning and soon moving into construction I think also in terms of suspension bridges they will mm-hmm. it would take a major step ahead um, there is still this um, recognition of a need to bring in international expertise and you could say Kobe is in, in a unique position because we're just at the tail end of construction of Chenakula. Mm-hmm. So not only have we done the design but we also have people on site who, who similar to me on Stonecutters if you like, yeah. they, they got the, the direct feedback from the construction process. Uh-huh. And I think that brings a lot of value to to the projects in China and as everybody would do, you, you want to benchmark, I mean there, there's not one company or one person behind such big investments and such mm. big projects. It it you, you need a lot of, of, of second and third opinions in order yeah. to, to feel that you you have a safe and, and robust design. Yeah. So it, it's good collaboration. What are the with your experience in project management, what are the priorities <coughs> um, when it comes to collaborating across borders with different markets, like in Istanbul, uh, sorry, Turkey and China. Yeah, and the Philippines, where we're also um, doing yeah. work in South America. Uh, yes, um, I think having um, respect for other human beings, I think having spending the time to get to know each other on the team, because it is teamwork. Yeah. So it's not just a cultural understanding but also having the human respect and, and understanding mm-hmm. that we bring different experience to to the table and and it's really going back to diversity we talked about a second ago it, it it's really that everybody can contribute with something unique and and if you get that that idea to the table that you wouldn't have got otherwise i yeah. think it has a lot of value and <coughs> Going back to Chinakale, you know, it's close to completion. What has what have been the biggest learning points in that project, and what aspects of the design are Covey sort of most proud of? That was a tough question. There's there's so many aspects. Yeah. I think, and if you if you're into the design, I think every team responsible for a component they they would have had 
their moments of, of glory where they felt here we really made yeah. a huge difference. I would say probably apart from the technical challenges because a new world record always has surprises and, and things that have not done been done before. Yeah. I think probably the rapid construction program is really a first time. Yeah, it's very impressive. It, it is super impressive and we we supported the, the contractor with a lot of additional analysis to help them speed up and, mm. and I think it also forced us to think in, in different ways of construction instead of just the traditional way of doing it. So I would say that there are probably things in the way it was constructed that will be become the new trend. Um, was that the, the decoration in particular or the, the pylon construction? I, I think all of it, <laughs> all, all of it because yeah. they, they were under such a tremendous time pressure. So mm -hmm. we took components and experience from the Izmit Bay crossing, the Osman, Osman, Osman Gazi, Gazi bridge yeah. in Turkey as well, and, and used some of the things that worked well uh, design-wise and, and, of course, uh, construction-wise. But it's a different contractor, uh, yeah. a different team of contractors, two Turkish and two Korean. And, of course, they have their preferred methods. They have their experience. Yeah. Uh, they have their sub contractors so it's very much about having that dialogue and understanding mm -hmm. what is their preference and then adapting and I, I think collaboration is really key yeah Tina has worked at Covey for her entire career and in the next part of the interview we delved into how the company has reacted to changes in the industry over the years future requirements for bridges and structural optimization and structural health monitoring what were your different titles as you moved through the company? So you're currently Vice President for International Bridge Department, is that yes, correct? Yes, um, I started in a very traditional way as an engineer bridge designer, yeah. so in the, in the technical career track. Okay. And then after some time gradually moved into project management roles, so in the beginning taking sort of and we're all as, as discipline lead, as we call it. So basically being responsible for a specific component yeah. and, and, and a small team. Okay. Um, and then sort of fitting that into the sort of the, the overall planning of the project and reporting to the PM and then gradually moving into being the, the deputy PM and, okay. and the project manager mm -hmm. myself. Um, then I was stationed abroad yeah. for, for some years and, and, and the three years in Hong Kong where I was... Um, senior resident engineer, so that was a, a, a supervision role. Mm -hmm. And then coming back to Kobe, I moved uh, into line management as a head of section. So in in the bridge department, we typically have sections of around 20 people. Okay. And the head of section reports to the vice president. So seven years ago, I became the vice president for the bridge department. Okay. So I think it has been a, a very traditional way and uh, yeah. or, or path. but. It, it doesn't feel like being in the same company for 25 years because no. it changes all the time. There's so many opportunities. Yeah. And in particular with the international aspect, um, you, you can change the setting. Yeah. We work in a project-orientated organization. So every time you change a project, you will yeah. work with different people, with different customers. So okay. it's very diverse. And how has the company mm -hmm. evolved? What have you noticed in terms of the way it operates or just... Um its approaches maybe over the years? Have you seen a change or has it always, I mean, I imagine it's kept the same or similar philosophy. Has anything else changed? I think the DNA of the company, I think we're very true to our DNA, which yeah. is um, a strong, strong focus on our technical skills and, okay. and the professional uh, skills and competences. I think that that's the basis for for everything we do in the company, and we take a lot of pride in, yeah. uh, in our technical achievements. I would say in in sort of recent years, there's a lot of focus, as you know, on digitalization, sustainability, yeah. um, different tools and platforms for for developing the projects. Like just the introduction of of uh, BIM models yeah. has made a lot of, of change um, yeah. for our projects and the way we, we discuss the projects and, and interact with our clients okay. is very much about co-creating with our clients because we can we can share the models and at a very early stage we, we can actually try modifying before things get too far down the road. Yeah. So it's much easier to modify yeah. and agree at an earlier stage. 
And you mentioned mm. that you, you used Tecla and it was used for the 1915 Chinacolate Bridge. Um, when did the company start using Tecla? How long is that? It, it, it has been used in the company, uh, in different parts of the company for a number of years before we, we started taking it up in, uh, in the uh, transportation part of, okay. of the business. Yeah. I, I guess it's, it's fair to say we're probably a bit more traditional. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're a bit more slow to adapt. But it, it was quite clear that there was a lot of potential in this. And therefore we decided on, on the 1915 Chenacle Bridge, even though it was, wasn't a requirement yeah. from, from our client. But we thought in order to develop ourselves and, and, and investigate the potential, we decided mm -hmm. to, to use Tecla. And most of the project was delivered in, in 3D Tecla. And it was a huge benefit for us at a point in time where the contractor wanted to change mm -hmm. um, at, at, at quite a big thing in, in the structure in order to speed up construction. Yeah. And we had to change the design completely mm. uh, to allow more, more prefabrication. Okay. And we couldn't have done that if we hadn't had the, the Tecla model. And what about the, the Chinese bridges that you mentioned before, uh, Zhang? The Chinese suspension bridges yes. that are going to be record-breaking. Could you uh, maybe unpack a bit of the detail for those for people that aren't maybe familiar? Yes, the the Chang'ao yeah. uh, project is becoming the new world record when when it is completed. And um, we actually just yesterday we had a review meeting with with our client in in China, going through our comments, our review of the feasibility of of the design as it is presented and. And some ideas for optimization based on our experience. Wow. And um, next year in September, Yapsu will have its um, big annual conference in Nanjing, and and Chang'ao Bridge is to be constructed in Nanjing. So wow. we, we'll get a chance to see sort of the early works on okay. on the project at that point in time, yeah. and I'm sure it will be showcased. So um, I know that Covey and your old uh, university conducted research into lighter bridges by using different methods for examining how to better use materials on, on the deck of Osman Ghazi, uh, Osman Ghazi Bridge in Turkey across Izmit Bay, um, which led to, they said, weight savings of more than 28% for the girder. What, where else is Covey looking for optimization and efficiency in its structures? I would say everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every every component. Yeah. Uh, we we would look into optimization, but of course optimization also depends on the criteria. It it could be simply the quantities of the materials, right. but it could also be ease of construction. Uh, it could be um, making transportation of, of, of elements easier uh, and thereby saving. Or it it has many many aspects. We look into yeah. types of materials. Um, and, and also using new materials uh, wherever possible. But of course, what is important to, to keep in mind is that when we design infrastructure, it's typically for a design life of 100 years. Okay. <clears throat> when we were involved in the yeah. detailed design of a, a possible future new bridge uh, across the Messina Strait, the requirement was 200 ah, years okay. design life. And therefore, that, that also requires quite a lot of imagination from from Gingers. I mean, what would be the future requirements? What what type of of traffic mm -hmm. uh, would there be on on the bridge? Um, would there be potentially new use? Would there be light requirements for light rail? Or yeah. would it, would part of it be turned into uh, lanes for pedestrian cyclists? Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily on such a big bridge as Messina, but we really try to use our imagination and also secure the the assets for for future generations because the type of traffic we're having today that that's probably not the type of traffic we'll see in, in 20 years time no mm. um in terms of the mm. new materials out there what do you see as having the greatest potential i think um every avenue should be investigated yeah. it's it's I don't think it's fair to point at sort of one being being the the, the big uh -huh. problem solver. Yeah. I think in terms of, of steel, for instance, uh, we're looking at at uh, higher yield strengths yeah. of steel, which means that we can save quantities. And if, 
for a big cable supported bridge, we can say quantities in the deck. It means that we save quantities in, in the main cables and in, in the tower structures. Yeah. So that has a really important knock-on effect. Mm -hmm. So it's also important to look at where exactly are we putting additional weight or saving weight. For uh, so other, other types of, of sort of components on a bridge like the ancillary works, we, we could also look into uh, fiber-based materials and, and for instance um, there was a bridge in the northern part of Denmark uh, mm. some years ago at a um, railway bridge that needed an additional uh, deck for, for pedestrians and cyclists okay. and it couldn't carry the load of a traditional sort of cantilevered steel structure so that, that was uh, a carbon fiber material okay. or glass fiber glass fiber I think it was okay. um, so that, that's a way also to maybe take existing infrastructure and upgrading it for future use, but, yeah. but it, it can only sort of carry the load it can carry. So, so you've you got to be a little bit creative sometimes in, mm -hmm. in then the structural solutions you propose. Um, is the company looking anywhere else uh, apart from the optimization of its design to sort of reduce its, <coughs> its carbon footprint? I mean, as a company, we there, there's there's also the way we, the energy is produced, yeah. and um, that's another kind of interesting thing in terms of, of steel production, for instance, to have uh, CO two neutral steel, mm. and and I'm sure that will be a big thing in in the future. I would say in in this area or this part of Coe's business, Coe uh, International, we work closely together with. Energy International, okay. they're responsible for a lot of the um, offshore wind farms oh, okay. and there's a lot of development in that area and within the energy islands and power to X yeah. where we can take a lot of inspiration from, from each other. So I think what we'll see is that sort of the, um, the borders between different disciplines will, will, will be more or less erased okay. and I think we'll see our engineers will work more across disciplines and take inspiration from yeah. one area because there may be um, breakthrough technologies in one area for instance the energy sector yeah because they're moving so fast right now yeah that that we can take a lot of inspiration uh -huh. in uh, in the transportation sector mm -hmm. it's also in the um, monitoring operations yeah. and monitoring health monitoring of, okay. of structures to make sure that instead of um, a component breaking down causing a lot of obstruction and, and costing society a lot of money yeah um, if we can be become better at predicting i see um and and and, and replacing at the right time yeah not replacing at, at perhaps certain predefined intervals just because it says so in a manual but really uh -huh. having that health assessment of the structure and then making the replacement at the right point in time so we maximize the output of a component yeah but we don't compromise sort of the service of, of the, the, the structure or the asset. Working across disciplines and firming up environmental and sustainability goals are explored in this next part of the interview. I definitely see that the complexity of the projects and the complexity of climate change that we, we're try, still trying to understand and also our focus on sustainability mm. and, and um, yeah, the SDGs and how how we actually support these global goals, yeah. I think has um, just put a new focus on the need for for engineers and and um, all the professions who contribute to sort of the built okay. environment. That we we have a focus on not just our own little specialized area, but but we also understand and bring in expertise from other areas. Mm -hmm. it, it's really about co-creating and having um, fundamental respect for what other people, other professions can bring to the table mm -hmm. so that we, we create the best possible solutions for, for society. I mean, in, in the end, we are here to serve society and the communities. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What do you think are the next steps that are needed to be made to reduce uh, the impact of, of bridge construction? as we see more and more large-scale projects, which aren't necessarily more, have, have a greater impact, but um, in terms of sustainability, what are the next steps to ensure that they have a, less of an impact? 
I think as uh, as society we need to put requirements forward. Mm-hmm. I, I think as society we we should have an expectation to what is a reasonable level because when when we construct something it, it will have an impact yeah. and it's really up to us uh, as society to say this is acceptable this is not acceptable mm-hmm. as engineers we would always strive to do the best and we should uh, but it's within a certain set of requirements we follow codes and standards and the clients may have their, their special requirements yeah. and and I think that's kind of sets the, the goalposts for, for engineers and then there's the, the creativity of, of yeah. the individuals and, and you can't hold that back. Yeah. So, so uh, there will be individuals who have these bright ideas and they bring it to the table. And mm-hmm. then, then I think it's up to us as, as managers and, mm-hmm. and as people with some decision power to, to actually recognize, hmm, this could be a good idea, let's investigate a bit more. Do you think that clients could be more active in terms of their procurement strategies to encourage um, better, more optimized, more, more sustainable designs? I'm convinced we'll see that. Yeah. Um, and I would welcome it. Yeah. Because it, it's really by by sort of setting the bar really high and, and putting requirements uh, forward that, that we improve. Uh-huh. Development is, is really pushed by, by a need. So I, I think it would be really helpful with clients, yeah. whether public or private, uh, put forward some fairly ambitious goals. And then it's up to engineers as a profession and together with all, all the other professions we collaborate with, like mm-hmm. architects yeah. and specialists in, in environmental um, uh, assessment and, and things like that. It is really up to us to then meet the requirements and the expectations. And maybe we can even do better than, yeah. uh, than the requirements. But yeah. I think we have to be ambitious. Um, in terms of here in Denmark, uh, do you see that ambition already <coughs> f- uh, fr- from certain clients? We clearly do. Yeah. And, and we see more and more. I think the tenders that are coming out now and in the coming years, they, they'll have more firm requirements uh, to to document sustainability mm. and what measures have been taken to make certain reductions. And I, and I think documentation is key here because there's yeah. been a lot of talking about sustainability and to some extent, uh, sometimes you get the impression that, it, that it's more words than, than action. Yeah. And I think if, if there is a set of firm requirements, if, if it's almost codified, yeah. what we're supposed to do, then I think it would also get more, it will become more trustworthy and it will have more credibility mm-hmm. and we can compare. Yeah. And that's maybe key to it because I think also with development in artificial intelligence and, and computer models, um, we can compare more options yes. faster. Yes. Uh, we talked about the, the computational fluid daman- dynamics before en- enabling us to do decisions mm-hmm. uh, much quicker in, in the concept design phase. Yeah. And I think computational methods will also allow us to compare a lot of different options. And then based on a certain set of criteria, decide which one is the most optimal. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, requirements to sustainability, carbon footprint, mm-hmm. will, will definitely be a, a very important set of parameters. And in terms of actually counting carbon and analyzing uh, how much is produced by a, you know from different uh, design options, there seem to be lots of different approaches and uh, methodologies used by different companies. Um, is there a way of bringing these together, or what? What is Covey's um, approach at the moment in terms of uh, analyzing carbon in a structure? At the moment, we, we're using tools uh, developed by, by different entities. And, and of course, it's also very focused on, on the specific geography. Yeah. So in Denmark, is for instance, the Danish road authorities, they, they, they have developed a tool, uh, which is, of course, focused on Danish conditions and, yeah. and, and how things are traditionally built in Denmark. In the UK, they, they have similar tools. Um, and, and the projects, I mean, there's some mega projects in the UK right now, like High Speed 2 and yeah. Lower Thames Crossing and, and Silvertown. There, there are lots of really big projects. And, and of course, that's a, a brilliant way to use those big projects to, 
to really speed up development mm. within certain areas and, and sustainability is one of them. So they would have their tools and then I hope at a European level um, there can be some harmonization of, of how do we address sustainability and how do we document it and how do we compare different options. Okay. Um, I think that that would be really strong if, if we could have such a basis. Mm-hmm. So you think it's it's necessary to start on a, a more local level that takes into account the existing um, approaches mm-hmm. to, co- to construction? That's at least the way it, it has been developed and is developing at the moment. And I think it also makes sense because it is very local. Where, where do you source your, your material from for concrete, for instance? Where, Actually, where do you yeah, get the yeah. sand and the gravel yeah, and the yeah. cement? So it, it has a tendency of, of, of having a lot of local flavor okay. to it. And then I think sort of the, the general methods need to be agreed at a, at a more international level. Tina is, of course, the president-elect of IABSI, the International Association for Bridge and Structural Engineering. And in the final part of the conversation, we spoke about the organization in general and her goals for it during her tenure as president, before circling back to her involvement in the steering committee for some of the world's largest ongoing bridge projects. So you've been uh, elected um, by the permanent group of IABSI to to be the next president as of uh, November next year? Correct. Um, so you're currently president-elect. Um, what is it? What did it mean to you to be elected? Uh, how did you feel? I'm super honoured. Uh, yeah. It's really an honour because it's it's such a, a well-respected association. Yeah. Uh, for a number of reasons, it it has hundred years of history almost. Mm-hmm. It was it was um, started in uh, 1929. Yeah. And it's. Um, has members from 100 different countries. It has over 50 national groups, okay. 3,000 members, um, and a lot of well-respect. I would say all the, the well-respected people in the industry mm-hmm. at an international yeah. level would, would be members of YAPS and would be very active members. Yeah. So it, it's an honor to, to be part of hopefully shaping the future of yeah. the association. And it, I, for me, it, I also feel it's, it's a logical step to take. Uh, it was part of a task group that uh, formulated a new strategy mm-hmm. in nineteen. Oh, sorry, in in two thousand and eleven to oh, thirteen. Yeah. we worked on that, and and then uh, since it has been uh, implemented, and the presidents since that point in time have all been deeply involved in in developing the strategy. So I feel with me sort of stepping in in their footsteps, I feel that it's still well anchored okay. in the leadership of, of IAPSA and uh, that, that is super important to me. And looking back before you were elected, uh, how has it contributed to your professional life and professional development since you uh, became a member? I, I think there's a lot of synergy yeah. because it, it it is the international association to be a member of if you have an interest in structural engineering. Mm-hmm. The S and the E stands for structural engineering. Yeah. So therefore, it, it it's a f- unique network, I would say, of structural engineers who have an interest in, in international work and also in developing the, um, the profession yeah. and building on the best from, from different geographies. And it's also having the respect for not all parts of the country are developed to the same level. So it's also about adapting mm-hmm. technology to what is possible in a certain geography. Yeah. And I think that that's a very important aspect of this association. We also um, deal with all types of materials, mm-hmm. timber, composites, concrete, steel, all types, yeah. all types of structures. As long as it has an input from structural engineering, it, it's part of our scope and also all phases of a project, so from concept designs to the early phases, detailed design, construction, mm-hmm. um, during sort of the lifespan of a structure, and also demolition. Right. So I, I think right from the early days, the founding fathers of Yapsa, they actually thought sort of the life cycle right. of a structure okay. before we even started talking about it and yeah. perhaps being very um, observant about how important it is. Uh-huh. Um, so what are your goals as president? Mm. What do you hope to achieve? I, uh, as, as president, 
I, I think I have a responsibility first and foremost towards the members. Yeah. We have 3,000 members who are there because they want to be there. Okay. They want to be part of a network. Uh -huh. And I think that's sort of the essence of YAPSA, it's our membership. So making sure that YAPSA stays relevant and important and valuable to all our members is, is a key focus area. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to be successful, I think it's important that we offer activities for, for young engineers. Okay both during, uh, during their time at university, but also at sort of the early phase of, of their career, that we really help and support young engineers yeah. developing in, in their career, because I think we all, we, we have all benefited from sort of mentors and from seniors who took an interest in, in talking to us and developing us in, when we were young engineers. Yeah. And I think we have um, a duty to, to pay back yeah. some of that support we received yeah. and I think we can also maybe encourage them if, if there's a sense of how do I fit into this or things are looking very communist so to help finding a path through and finding a good role and a good position hmm. for, for young and Indians that, that would be a focus point for, for me and then having also in mind that we serve society we, we, we build infrastructure it's huge investments for societies and yeah. societies um, people have decided to invest in something because yeah. it has a priority and therefore we also have a duty to do the very best we we can as mm -hmm. a profession so i think having that focus we we serve people yeah. is, is is very important yeah then going forward uh, and that has been also very important in the apps strategy um, very early on I think also before it was even talked about a lot in the media but having a focus on climate change uh -huh. and on um, the challenges that it, that it presents to us as, as engineers because weather becomes more extreme mm -hmm. um, we, we can see that so the loads on our structures become more extreme but we also need to consider significant flooding when we design um, looking into future use of our structures, making sure that they are future-proof. So trying to really fast forward into the future and try to imagine how can we make the structures we design today as flexible as possible yeah. so that future generations can adapt them mm -hmm. into something that, that's still useful and still valuable. I think there'll be more and more focus on that. And then, of course, the sustainability agenda. Mm -hmm. um, where I think any apps of being uh, an association with people of a very diverse background from, from different parts of, of the globe and from different professions. I think if, if we put everything we know into the pot, I think we have a lot of knowledge that has the potential of really moving us forward in, and taking some big steps. Speaking about young engineers, what tools do we need to equip them with? for them to be successful in the industry? That was a very big question. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's what will be even more important for, for young engineers and, and it will add complexity to their role. It's not enough being a good engineer and being mm. good at your math and physics and understand the laws of nature and to know your codes and standards. Yeah. But it's also about um, communication being able to communicate your knowledge to somebody who's not a specialist in your field. Yeah. And, and and that is necessary in order to sort of get other people willing to sort of walk the extra mile and believe in, in the projects and the solutions we, we present. We've got to be able to explain them so that, that mm. the, the people you're trying to convince, they actually feel that, yes, this is a good idea. Mm -hmm. So I think communication will be a very important thing and the ability to collaborate with people who has a completely different background yeah. and not necessarily just from from natural science and math and technical um, professions but from all types of, of professions mm -hmm. I think it's also about understanding human nature when we design yeah. infrastructure when is a built environment good for people and when is it not okay yeah that's interesting um, you mentioned just now uh, predicting future use of the bridges that we build um, for future transport and mobility. Uh, what about adapting the bridges that we already have? And in Europe, we have a very large portfolio of 
bridges, some of them in good condition, some of them in not so good condition. What um, what do you see as being key to uh, reusing or um, not reusing, making the most of these structures mm -hmm. and repairing them when needed, or maybe repurposing them if required? I think there is a, a big potential in using the structures and, and, and the built environment we have. Yeah. And either expanding the lifespan of it or, or adapting it to, to a completely different use. I think the Highline protein is yeah. always a good example Definitely. of a complete reuse. Yeah. And I think key to, to products like that becoming, I think, is probably involving the local community yeah. and the future users and really listening carefully to what would they like to yeah. help, what would improve their lives instead of imposing something on, mm. on top of the people who are actually going to yeah. to use it. So I think having that dialogue, again, communication, having the dialogue is, is super important. And then I think seeing the potential and collaborating with people who have a completely different take on on, on, on use of, of space, of, of, right. of urban space yeah. or what whatever it, it is, because it is an asset and it's becoming mm -hmm. more and more sparse with yes. urbanization so i think making the best use of what we have is mm -hmm. is going to be key and what are your hopes for the, the future of bridge design and construction um obviously you'd like it to <coughs> become more sustainable is there anything else you'd like to see from uh the bridge structures of the future Bridges and, and tunnels, for that matter, roads and railways, it, it's such an essential part of, of keeping our, our societies together and, and, and running and, and making sure that people have a good um, quality of life yeah. and also a good work-life balance. I mean, keeping the commute time to a minimum uh, is, is, is really something that's important in many people's lives. Yeah. And also making sure that... Um, I think in, in Scandinavia we have a good tradition of of commuting by bike or by yeah. foot, and and I <laughs> think it, it suits our community. I'm not yeah. saying it, it, that it would necessarily fit in in other communities, but definitely it 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 adds a lot of quality to people's lives. Um, yeah. So I I think that's definitely something that that will be developed further in the future. In terms of what, what's important for future bridges and, and tunnels, I think it's constant development. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you look at bridges that were designed 100 years ago, you'll probably find that they look terribly old-fashioned. Yeah. And I'm sure the bridges we, we are just completing today, if people look at them not in 100 years' time, but maybe just 30 or 50 years, they'll, they'll feel, wow, <laughs> was that the best they could do back then? <laughs> so I, I, I think it's... Um, it, Development is just going faster and faster. Yeah. Um, and what what we should keep in mind is um, we it's the it's the laws of nature, mm -hmm. and and we can't negotiate with gravity. So there are certain things that that needs to be in place and that needs to be thought through carefully. And and we need to make sure that what we are designing is safe and robust. Yeah. Um, because we it it's basically people's lives mm -hmm. that, that are at stake when, when, when we use infrastructure. So I think having that fundamental structural understanding mm -hmm. or understanding of structural behavior, if you yeah. like, I, I think it's still going to be um, a virtue that's very important for, for structural engineers. But there will be so many other uh, competences that will be needed. It's going to be so many times more complex than what we see today. Yeah. Um, as you've moved up the ranks of the company um, and sort of you, you have oversight over, I imagine, lots and lots of different projects at the same time, um, do you miss some of the more hands-on, more detailed work with um, Bridges? Always, every day. <laughs> I, I really, truly and fundamentally enjoy the technical uh, aspects of our work and it is the basis of, of what we're doing. And I don't think you would find a single manager in this company who, who hasn't got a, a solid technical background herself yeah. or himself. And, and I think it's it's essential to to understanding what we're doing and to have that respect for it's, it's actually 
big forces of nature that that we're dealing with every day. So I would, as I would say, I, I enjoy every moment where I can spend some time um, just listening into a review meeting or looking at some drawings. But of course, I have to, I have to limit myself to. <laughs> to <laughs> to overwhelming, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it is tempting. Um, to, to get involved, but that's of course the challenge. I mean, as, as you move into a grade, but it's it's also possible to move the other way. Like we see lots of people who have spent time in project management or line management, and then they say, yeah. now it's time to move back and okay and return to the roots. Okay. So you're currently um, part of the steering committee for the 1915 Chanakale Bridge, the Mumbai Trans Harbour Link, the Chebu Cordova Link Expressway, and the Storstrom. Excuse my pronunciation, Bridge. Um, what does that entail um, for those that might not be familiar with how that sort of uh, role, what that role uh, comprises? The steering committees for, for our big project, it's, it's typically when, when the projects become multidisciplinary, mm. uh, involve uh, multiple entities in the company, okay. um, or and it can also be external steering committees, of course, involving uh, clients as well. But... Typically, when we have these um, these big projects, we we set up a steering committee because it's also it's a board, you could say for for the project team, okay. the project manager, right. to um, express if they have any concerns. Ah, okay. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Just take a sip of water. It's um, it's an opportunity for the project team to um, raise their voice if, if they can see a risk yeah. coming up if they have some concerns it could be with resources it could be if they need a, a special competence that they don't have on the team right now it could be many many schedules i mean there, there could be many reasons that they the, the team feel they need to raise a flag and if we don't have sort of uh, scheduled meetings maybe be um, I think it's human there will be a tendency of waiting a little bit too long before raising a concern yeah. so it, it's really to have that dialogue with the project team and make sure that they they're still comfortable with the t with with the task at hand yeah. and it is a dynamic world I mean when we hand over a project we have a, a process we follow where we go through both the commercial and the contractual and the technical stuff okay. and QA uh, topics but it changes. I mean, yeah. there's not been one infrastructure project, I, I bet, in the world where there have not been changes sure. for some external reason, uh -huh. the client or, or, or some some natural obstacles that we discover on site, on favorable ground conditions, whatever it may yeah. be. And therefore things change and, and we need to follow up and make sure that we adapt at the right times to, to suit the new challenges. And of those bridges, of course, there's one in Denmark, the Storstrom Bridge. Um, how is that project progressing? And um, could you maybe just outline how important it is for infrastructure in Denmark and uh, its connectivity to the rest of, well, not the rest of, well, the rest of Europe, actually, because it's a part of a major railway Correct. development program. The, the future new Storstrom Bridge yeah. is, is a key component and it, it's much needed because it is going to replace um, the old bridge, yeah. which is a combined uh, road and railway bridge. And it has reached the end of its service life. So it is suffering from uh, fatigue yeah. at, at, at different places. So it's a matter of time before it, it, it has reached the very end of its service life. So there's some time pressure on uh, on getting the new Storson Bridge open for, for traffic. And it's, again, it carries both railway and, and road traffic, and it will provide a link sort of from, from the capital area of Denmark uh, south, and then it will link up to the future Femen Tunnel, yeah. which is going to connect uh, Denmark and Germany, yeah. rail and road uh, as well. So, so it is a key component, and it will also provide much needed relief of, of Denmark's Great Belt, fixed link because today uh, the traffic is, is basically going through that tunnel and, and on the bridge so it will provide a, a relief of, of of Great Belt. And um, with the Chebu Cordova Link Expressway I am assuming that is <coughs> the maybe one of the or the biggest transport infrastructure project in the Philippines 
Um, have there been any? Um, what the, what have been the big challenges with that with that project? As it's such a huge undertaking in a country that hasn't seen something of that scale before. Correct. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. The Cebu Cordova Lingi Expressway is the biggest infrastructure project in in the Philippines, and I think um, the client had a vision, hmm. and that was what really. Um, it, it, it really got us engaged yeah. because we could feel that for a, a, a country with a number of challenges and, and also sort of limited financial power, it, yeah. it, it, it is quite unique to see a client where they say we would like to invest a little bit more to make sure that we have something that has um, better durability. Mm-hmm. Um, so a longer service life and, and also some a structure that has some aesthetic features um, that would actually make people in the local area very proud about it. Oh, so the, yeah. the client wanted something unique and they were willing to invest a little bit more. And as it turned out, it was not a lot more. Okay. Um, because the way we like to design in Kobe is that we, we use the structures that are already there and then we basically emphasize the, the function of a certain element and, and that will typically make it also quite pleasing to, to look at the structure because you can yeah. interpret the flow of forces when you when you look at the structure. I'm sure you would yeah. you you would agree with me when you look at that, that cable state bridge and you look at the um, the approaches and the ramps. It it everything makes sense. Yeah. And we were able to shorten some of the ramps so we could save quite a lot of of concrete by doing okay. that. And then there's a long causeway with some secondary navigation bridges for for the fishermen in that local area. So Again, it there were several visits to the site in order to understand the requirements and the local um, sort of culture, okay. in order to make sure that we we were respectful of of what was important in 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 that area, not just the Philippines but also the Visayas region where where Cebu is located. Oh, okay. And is that traditionally <coughs> a big fishing? Uh, well, has a big fishing fishing industry? Yes. There's fishing and there's a very unique sort of environment there. They have shark whales, they have mangroves. So it's also an environment that needs protection. And that has been a key aspect also in designing and in looking at construction methods to make sure that everything was done in a way that had the least impact. Yeah. On, on the local environment and then I would say um, in these corona uh, times or this period of time the period uh, where, where the majority of construction took place was actually when corona hit mm. and that was that was another major challenge for yeah. a project at that location uh, with the type of workforce and it just imposed a big big challenge and I, I'm full of respect for for the team that they were actually able to push through yeah. Isolated the workforce on site, and and they were able to to continue construction, in in a safe manner, uh-huh. um, and and make sure that that everything was progressing, even during the the COVID lockdown yeah. period. So, uh, I have a lot of respect for for the team behind that project. Do you think the experience <clears throat> of undertaking these massive projects during a pandemic has? Um, has taught um, professionals something about what is achievable in terms mm-hmm. of adapting to new ways of working and not being able to uh, communicate face to face or fly internationally with as much ease. Has it enhanced uh, uh, other aspects of uh, operations? Like I, I think I think the pandemic has has um, made us aware of different ways of collaborating and. Yeah. And that we gotta be creative, and we gotta um, make it work. If we can't sort of be the same place at the same time, yeah. then we need to use uh, technology to to enable us to to do so. And the team they had, um, I mean, they they used drones. They had video recording from the site where they could speak directly with their designers in the head office because mm-hmm. they couldn't travel there and they could look at details at the same time. So. Uh, it has definitely taught us uh, new new ways of working and new tools yeah. have yeah. been implemented here. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of the 
information that you shared with us about the projects that you've worked on in the past. Um, very some very special bridges that I'm sure lots of people will be very familiar with. So it was great to learn more about them and of course uh, a little bit about yourself and and your background. So thank you for your time, Tina. Thank you for visiting. Thanks. <laughs>